Hello, welcome to the Comparative Agility Podcast. My name is Simon Hilton, and in this series we'll be talking with world leaders in agility to help understand how we can make continuous improvement a part of your company's DNA. In this episode, I talk with Valerio Zanini about product management and innovation. We talk about his 5D framework, which gives a great end-to-end understanding of what it takes to ideate, build, and deliver a product to customers that really achieves their outcomes. And here we are. Welcome, Valerio. How are you? Hello, thank you for having me. That's all right. Uh, welcome to Comparative Agility. And today we're talking about uh, one new capability that we've got on the site, which is the 5D framework that you've been working on. Um, do you want to give us a little bit of an introduction into, you know, this is a bit of a different one because it's actually coming from a product um, focus rather than any sort of software development uh, specific focus. So do you want to give us a bit of a, a uh, introduction into the product management and innovation capability. Totally, yes. This is a product management and innovation assessment that we have built with uh, comparative, comparative agility. And the goal here is to provide a tool for uh, individuals, for teams and organizations um, in general to assess the capability of their team, their expertise in key product management practices. We believe that if you want to be successful with uh, building a product uh, with an agile transformation, you need to have the right practices from a product management standpoint. And this assessment from comparative agility really helps driving that. Absolutely. Now, one thing that I've come across when having this conversation is uh, you, you mentioned kind of agile transformations is many companies have really run in what more of a project mindset that they have something they need to do we'll get all the requirements together we'll we'll form a document we'll do a lot of requirements gathering up front we'll hand it to the engineering team and it's this kind of disjointed siloed off approach um, where actually the whole outcome can get lost and that's the customer um, what does the customer really want what is the minimum value that they need to to go yes i'm getting something out of this um and so uh, because i if you actually look into it there's the, the history of it project management hasn't been so rosy i mean if you it's not hard to to look over the internet and i believe there was one called the project graveyard one of my favorite websites which you talked about you know all of the all the failed projects and, and how they ended up that way um i mean it's not uncommon for for someone to spend. I think the one article I read was two, the CIA spending $200 million on, 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 on a piece of software that never actually saw a user um, because it never got that far to being in production. So, you know, it, it, there's real money that goes along with this. There's real understanding, but changing from that project mindset to going, okay, so how, which actually comes in, in, in conjunction with Agile, how do we early and frequently deliver valuable software to the, um, to the customer, I guess that's really what you're talking about because it's more than just uh, writing code or, or any of the software development. There's other components that go around that process end to end. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think uh, you can be doing uh, great from an agile adoption point of view, thinking about agile practices, mm-hmm. 
and still don't deliver anything of value to your customers. <laughs> I, I have many, many examples on that front. And yeah. I, I call this, and, and, and typically, you say project, uh, I, usually what I see is a big upfront planning. So, for example, we spend six months a year really digging down all the possible requirements, writing a big requirement document, getting sign off from the stakeholders. When we finally get all of that finalized, done, and so on, then we give it to the development team. And yes, they use agile practices. They may be doing Scrum, they may be doing Kanban, whatever, and they are agile. And what they do is just they're they're given this large upfront plan for their product, and the only thing they can do is really slicing it down into smaller chunks that they can build maybe every two weeks. But the end is very clear what what the end should be, and is defined upfront. Yeah. Um, and, and the problem is once you start learning from customers, you realize, wait a minute, maybe we're delivering the wrong thing and you can't change that path very quickly. Um, uh, especially if you define a multi-year kind of project. Um, so it's, it's more important to create more of an agile mindset of we're not going to know everything up front, but we're going to make those decisions as we go based upon learning and, and talk to our customer. Yeah, totally, and, and that's where uh, a great uh, product culture comes into place. Mm -hmm. So when you see Agile just as a slicing mechanism, you're not really doing Agile. Because Agile is a mindset, it's a set of values, a set of principles. Actually, Agile as defined from the Agile Manifesto is just a set of values and a set of principles. Then you have several practices or frameworks that allow you to put these values and principles into practice. But really the end goal should be to bring to life those values and principles. And mm. the point is, when you just apply one of the practices or one of the frameworks out of a manual, you just apply rigidly everything that they prescribe you to do, you may get into the slicing mechanism. Agile becomes a slicing mechanism. You break down your work into two week increments mm -hmm. and you go on forever. Mm. It's actually but you're not really. Say again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I saw that. Um, uh, that's actually one other point that you brought up is really important as well. Is that, um, agile can be make you really good at delivering software, but if it's the wrong software, it doesn't really mean anything. Um, so having a good product mindset to to theorize, deliver, validate, and and, and repeat and kind of improve your product direction is is really important as well. Yeah, and the goal is to deliver outcomes, deliver Correct. outcomes to the stakeholders and customers. Yeah, actually, and, that, you, you, you said it just there, like it's, it's not, not about, about delivering software, it's about delivering outcomes, so yeah. Yeah, it's not even delivering software faster, in a sense, yeah. right? It, it's yeah. about delivering outcomes faster. Maybe with less software, maybe with less features. Mm. In fact, we can start talking about MVP, minimum viable products, where we deliver uh, value and outcomes by building the minimum amount of features or functionality that allows us to go into market. Mm -hmm. And when we focus on really building outcomes, the whole perspective changes because then we have customer focus. We really need to understand what the customer really needs and really wants 
so that we can build that and not just a set of features that come from a product requirement document that somebody compiled for us, mm-hmm. for example. Yeah, got it. So how did how did you come to the 5D model? How did once you'd realized this that there's this need, how did you come to the 5D model? Yeah, so the, this is a this is how this came uh, came around. First of all, the 5D the five dimensions of great products can be applied to really any any type of product. Mm-hmm. That's underlying premise. The, uh, by working with product people, product teams, and developing teams, I realized that there was a, a little bit of a narrow mind around specific dimensions or specific practices that people were comfortable in doing, but they somehow missed the bigger picture, the end-to-end delivery of value. Yeah. And uh, the, the idea there was, uh, let's look at really the five dimensions that a great product should should cover, should go through, mm-hmm. and they are believe uh, discovery. <clears throat> so discover, design, develop, deploy, and finally deliver. Mm-hmm. And let's look at all the practices that product people, product teams can adopt to support each one of these dimensions. And by just by, by you know one of the values of uh, Scrum of several agile. Uh, practices is uh, transparency. Mm-hmm. So by bringing transparency to all the work, all the possible practices that product teams can use at different stages, different dimensions of the product development uh, effort, this allows them to question themselves and say and, and check whether they actually have spent enough time, for example, understanding the customers. And we shortcut that step jumping into product development too quickly or have we spent enough time understanding the problem and the needs, for example. Mm-hmm. And by using the five dimension canvas, they can get a list of uh, several different uh, practices or techniques that they can use to support each dimension. Now, these are, these are not like, this is not an encyclopedia where you have all the possible practices and tools. There's probably an infinite number of these things. So what you find on the 5D canvas are the most important, most uh, adopted practices that really help teams understand whether they're doing the right work, whether they have the right focus, or is there something they should develop in terms of expertise, in terms of focus, in order to get better. And that's also an underlying structure for the product management and innovation assessment with comparative agility, where we have a structured assessment across these five dimensions. So we can really start looking at what each team member or the product team does at each of these dimensions and understand what can be done better or what kind of expertise we can uh, improve so that we can get better at building products and understanding and having customer focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's funny because it, some people might look at this and say, Oh, we already do this. We design, develop, deploy, but it's actually really interesting how um, we just might not get time to do the other bits, but they are just as important as having all of them uh, because it, it does create not just really a, a, um, a linear pathway to, oh, we're done now, um, but it's, it's a cyclical nature, which actually creates a, a, a virtuous cycle. Um, 
because the more you uh, kind of de uh, design, develop, deploy, and then deliver, you, you get that learning and you feed it back into the cycle. So it is that iterative, uh, uh, not, uh, how can I put it, uh, iterative learning and validated learning that you, that, that agile methodologies really value. Yeah, in fact, first of all, we need to have uh, visibility of all the different uh, things that we need to do to when we want to build the product. And then once we have that visibility, transparency, alignment, and so on, let's do through that, um, through those steps as quick as possible. Because the goal, and that's true in Agile, it's true in, uh, in product management, is to de uh, deploy, deliver, outcomes, deliver value to the customers as quick as possible with the minimum amount of investment and lowest, lowest risk. Yep. So it's not about spending a ton of time doing discovery and then a ton of time doing design, just going through this big uh, yeah. waterfall linear process. That's not the point, right? Yeah, yeah. The point is, can we do a little bit of discovery so that we can ideate a set of solutions, maybe build something that helps us validate which solution is right. And if we don't get it right, that's fine. We pivot, we go back to our customers, discover more, learn more, iterate yep. again, do these rapid cycles uh, until we can finally build something that is of value and we can deliver that value. And I think that's a really key part of it, just doing a bit more than you did before and getting better at it because I've seen situations where uh, we do talk about, okay, let's go out and talk to the customers or discover something and, and people are, and some team members will be like, well, no, we don't have time for that. We don't have time to book workshops. Let's go out and talk to them. But there is still something more you can do. Okay, can we talk to someone who's had a conversation with a customer in the last, uh, in the last couple of weeks as opposed to just believing we think we know it straight up out of our heads because we're experts. Um, just getting into that mindset of, okay, just adding a bit more to the way that we do it is, is, is still going in the right direction to, to being more customer focused and, um, and, to, and to using an evidence-based approach. Great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I agree. In fact, and, and to that end, for example, there are several things that uh, teams could do to improve. One example is uh, instead of treating the development team as a black box to whom you give your requirements and then you expect to get something out at the end of the sprint, bring them into the conversation with the customers, bring them into discovery, have them participate to these activities. Maybe yep. not the whole team, but maybe one team member at a time doing customer interviews. Over time, everybody builds context, a better understanding, and each team member may be able to actually contribute to providing ideas and new solutions that the product manager may not have uh, thought of before. Yep. So really creating alignment between the develop the whole team, not only the development team, but just the whole team and with the customer and the customer needs can be very, very important. Got it. So let's dive in and we'll go, go one step at a time um, uh, through the model. So first we have discovery now, um, and I actually want to kind of draw parallels between what other people might know about this. Cause I mean, I, I do kind of feel like there's some parallels with some like design thinking and, and design sprints and things like that. So we just kind of want to make sure that we're being very clear on what we're, we're, we're saying with each of these um, areas. But, but you say discovery is uh, understanding what do customers really need? So how do you think, uh, how would you typically coach teams to, to approach discovery? Yeah, I would say in discovery there are many things you can do, but I think there are probably two needs you need to, to answer. One is what does the customer need? And the second one is what the business need. 
Mm. Don't forget, we have, when we build products, usually we build them for a reason, right? For a, for a business reason. There is something there that we want to make happen. Mm-hmm. So yes, we are solving a customer problem, but we need to understand also the business environment and so on. So uh, you mentioned design thinking, which, in, which part of design thinking are several practices, like for example, empathy interviews yep. and uh, observations. These are great methods to perform discovery with customers. Design sprints, yes, the part of the design sprint is also in discovery, part is in design and validation. The, there are tools and frameworks like, for example, the business canvas or the lean canvas, mm-hmm. or even the product vision canvas. All of these frameworks allow stakeholders, whether from the business or from the customer side and the team, to create uh, alignment around what is needed, what are the problems that we are trying to solve, and really understand the, the background, uh, the, the, the business background that mm-hmm. we need to work with. Yeah. And uh, uh, the, it, uh, what, the way I really kind of, I'm looking at the, the, the model right now, and the way I really kind of engage with it is to say, because you've got design right next to it, but you're talking about what solution really makes sense. What's really important, I feel, during discovery is to not be solution focused, to just say, let's choose the right problems to solve. Um, well, let's, let's, let's understand the needs, let's understand the problems of our customers and be very clear on the high value product pr- problems that we're trying to solve so we can prioritize and, and put our f- efforts and focus there because of the, um, the, the high value that it's eventually going to bring to that person. Um, whereas, so, so we're focusing on the problem, whereas later, once we can actually focus on solutions. Yeah, I think that's uh, really a, a two spaces that we are that we are talking about, uh, and yep. I usually refer to them as the problem space and the solution space. Yep. The solution space is is your solution, is what you're you're building, the product or service that you are building and making available to your customers. In order for that to be successful, it needs to it needs to solve a problem for mm-hmm. the customer. And uh, I see so many times when teams shortcut understanding the problem and jump into building a solution, they maybe yep. have a preconceived in their mind, and that may not be the right thing to build, the right thing to do. So understanding the problem space and really understanding that before we move on to the solution space is very important. And mm-hmm. that's the goal of the discovery activity. Now, the solution space comes into the in part of the design. The design dimension is that bridge between the problem space and the solution space. And is where we try to move from understanding of problem, uh, customer problems and customer needs into designing possible solutions. And we yeah. want to have uh, a solution set, not one solution, possibly a solution set, multiple different solutions. Yeah. Because often actually the first uh, solution that comes to mind may not be the right one. Mm-hmm. And then validate it. So earlier we mentioned design sprints, for example. Yeah. But other other practices like prototype testing, building quick prototypes, and these kind of things are also very valid. So mm-hmm. that we can validate quickly an idea, a possible solution, to 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 see whether they make sense or not. 
Yeah. The re, uh, the re, I guess what I was talking about and the reason I don't know we need to underline this is for some reason, it's so easy to assume, you know, the problem and to move so quickly into the design, maybe because we're, we're wired for creativity and we really want to get into doing things, but um, spending that little bit of extra time validating, even if you think you know it, just asking the question again and validating someone, is this correct? Um, from a problem space point of view, I think is immensely valuable because the amount of times that I've seen people who think they know what the problem is, but then you ask just, you, you scratch the surface a little bit more and you wait, wait a minute, this is based upon personal experience and assumption, not based upon any sort of objective data or conversation. It becomes very apparent. So like, oh, okay, so we're, we were just about to, um, and this is where the important part, another important part is, is that development is extremely expensive exercise. So it, it pays to say, can we have a five, 10, maybe 30 minute conversation to validate our problem space before we start spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on development uh, team time and actually go, uh, actually go developing this thing. Um, I, I see it as kind of just a good investment kind of model to say, let's spend some time asking some of the basic questions up front. So we invest our time and our effort and our, our, our people in the most valuable way for the organization and the customer. Got it. Yeah. 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 And uh, in the, we, we are human, right? It's human nature that we want to solve problems. Yep. And we, and, uh, and in particular, yeah, if you're in this line of business, right. So. Want, right. Yeah. And, and, and if you're in this line of business, you like to build, you like to, to build solutions by right? a product manager that's what they love to do right build solutions and so that again is human nature and it takes an effort to stop hurrying up into the solution space and really spending more time into the problem space it takes a little bit of effort and just by bringing visibility to the discovered dimension we can help product manager spend more time there make sure they understand the space yeah understood uh, and this is where our kind of intimate understanding of the customer really comes from because you understand the problems they face every day um, so once we've done that we can move into the design phase um, where we articulate the solution so this is where as you said before we can have multiple we, we try not to think too single-mindedly it's, it's 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 of great value to think laterally about the many ways in which this solution could be solved and that's where creative solutions and, and possibly market changing solutions come into the uh, into the process. Yeah, uh, the, the challenge here is the problem solution fit. Mm -hmm. So again, the, the design, I see design as that dimension that bridges the problem to the solution space. Yep. And uh, we don't have it yet anything built right we don't have a product we don't have anything built yet yeah. but can we do something quickly to go back to our customers and validate if within that set of different solutions that we ideated there is one that maybe is a jewel something that we want to develop there is something that makes sense mm -hmm. and uh, and that's the goal here is uh, ideate different solutions and validate if any one of these may work. So we can use prototype testing, we can uh, uh, use the design sprints, these are great practices. We can go back to our customers with empathy interviews with uh, a prototype, for example, um, and these kind of things. Mm 
Mm. Mm. And, uh, but at the end of this, we're kind of looking really at the, the outcome of this phase is to say, look, we understand the problem. We have chosen a, a solution. We don't know if it's right yet, but we, it's the highest, we believe it's got the highest possibility of success and then get still using that hypothesis mindset to, to go and build and, and validate if we, if we were correct or, or create some learning. So typically we're going to see it coming out of this, would you say, uh, some sort of visual understanding of the product, um, maybe some wireframes, um, to kind of say, okay, it, we can clearly articulate and show what the solution looks like. I'm a big fan of uh, prototype, uh, of paper prototypes. Paper prototypes, yeah. And the reason is that paper, right, on paper, like napkin mm. prototypes, paper prototypes. Yep. The reason is you can put them on paper very quickly and yep. there is uh, very little attachment because you can iterate on them very quickly again. So, uh, because you have little attachment, it's very easy to get feedback, uh, invalidate your idea, maybe create another one and iterate on that very quickly. Yeah. And you, yes, you can generate the wireframes and use uh, any digital tools for that too. The goal here is to, to do that uh, relatively low res. So I actually completely agree with you. I had this conversation with a product manager the other day that um, I was setting out how, you know, I need, uh, I need to have some visual as well as, uh, Kind of narrative to the feature that he wanted to develop uh, and, and he was saying well I'll do the wireframes and all that kind of thing and I was like well no I don't want I don't need that you can just sketch it out if you want um, but I feel you're right there's some sort of investment in the higher fidelity you go with your prototype and that can actually lead to the, the opposite of what you want which is a scientific approach of discarding things that 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 you don't that you don't feel are going to work um, Whereas if you overinvest into something in a design point of view early, you may be picking it just because you've done so much work on it, as opposed to if you just sketch it out on a piece of paper or even like, you know, even, even if you sketch it out digitally, there's a lower investment there. So you're able to switch when you need to. I like the way you put that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> but totally. All I'm saying is like, there's so many, you're right. There's so many cool tools out there, but there's actually value in just doing it with your hand. And uh, I was just reading Shaping Up by 37 Signals and they said the same thing. When they have their uh, feature kind of uh, brief, they they say they typically say use fat line sketches, which is, means don't get detailed, just give the basic overview of how this will fit in and and let the let it let it kind of grow from there within the team. Okay. No, things may be a little bit just in this time period, right, because of the coronavirus and yeah. with social distancing and the virtual remote uh, kind of working. Uh, so people who die may be not anything to do right now, but you know, at some point the world will become normal again, right? Yeah, absolutely. Or you can just take a photo of it with your phone and, and upload it. That, that works as well. So. <laughs> Um, uh, also, we've been using a lot of collaboration boards like uh, visual whiteboards, which can be helpful as well. Um, okay, so once we know that, we've got to still develop the thing that we're looking to build, um, but it's still um, important to keep in the mindset of what's the minimum that we can build to develop the outcome that we want for the customer. Got it. Yeah. So, so this makes, makes, and I think one thing that you've mentioned before, which was really, really important is that what needs to be thought about here is what need to, what do we need to do to achieve the outcome? 
And that may not always be developing code. Um, it could be uh, it, it could be a build or buy um, uh, uh, decision. And especially as you move into the, uh, the era, well, we've already moved into the era of cloud computing. A lot of these service, services you need to build the outcome can be on demand and plugged together with little to no um, engineering, but still require that creative mindset of the development team to make sure that the outcome is being reached for the customer. And even more recently, there's a lot of yeah, no code initiatives that will help that as well. Sorry. Yeah, I, I agree with you, and, and that's another reason why in the design space we want to we want to have a solution set that is open because uh, there will be some ways that we can build something that is quick or quicker or faster or easier, and uh, by looking at different solutions, different ideas that we have, we may be able to find that better. Even the product journey map is a tool that allows us to really drill down into the key features that we want to deliver or prioritize for our product and then help us keep the focus on those and build an MVP. Now, MVPs, uh, there are many different ways to, to, do, to do them. One of them is the Wizard of Oz, many successful uh, companies today actually started in that way. One, one example is Zappos. Yes. <laughs> when they only built the front end, right? but didn't have any, anything behind that. Yeah. Uh, or, or Groupon famously started the same way. So yes, the point here is, uh, can we build something that works and delivers value without spending a ton of money, a ton of time building the whole thing? Uh, it, you know, it's, it, in the end, the goal is deliver value faster and reduce the risk. But, okay, so what's your advice here? Because I, I think it'd be quite easy, and I think I've seen this before, that people say, okay, we understand those stories. They're almost like, as you point out, Wizard of Oz, which is almost a fairy tale to people, but they feel, we can't do that. You know, we're a real business. We have to do everything from scratch and, and write our code, you know, and make it the best quality product we can. But that's not always true. The flip coin, yeah, it depends on the situation. The flip coin is also this other thing that I see often. And that is, uh, oh, we need to do everything, but we need to be fast. We need to get to the market yes. fast. Yeah. So let's cut corners. We don't need to invest into learning technology, really. We don't need to invest into analytics. We don't need to know whether the system works once we have developed uh, deployed that in the market. Let's just get that done and put that in the market. Mm -hmm. So let's cut corners. And then... Uh, teams either voluntarily or involuntarily accumulate a ton of technical debt. Yeah. And then, yes, they may go to the market, but they have this ton of technical debt that really is hindering their ability to grow after that. Yep. So that's why in the development phase, you may also, you may also want to look at DevOps, ATDD, CICD, all these engineering practices that help the team build not only the right product, but build the product right. Mm -hmm. No matter how big it is, it can be a small product, an MVP and whatever it is, but build it right. So you don't, you don't have to incur this huge pile of technical debt that later is gonna drag you down and slow you down for future expansions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
So it's important to realize, I guess there is, there is the other side of that as well, that when you start employing on-demand services, costs can grow pretty quickly if you don't keep an eye on them. So it is about balance, um, but it is certainly, a, uh, as you're kind of pointing out, about speed to market and making sure that you're actually delivering value early because that's the only way you're going to validate whether you're really providing value to the customer and eventually if they're going to see value in, in, in paying you um, and, and, be, and continue being a customer of yours. Cool. Yes. Okay. So okay. once we've developed some sort of solution, uh, we've developed the minimum we can build using a combination of build and buy, but also kind of on-demand uh, services. We get to deploy where we do our MVP launch and we actually have something in the hands of our customers. And, and, and here, this is exciting, right? When we get to deployment, this this celebration time, we got a product, I mean, the team is celebrating champagne, you know, all these kind of things. The problem may be the, the full thing that we finally built or maybe just a small piece of that, uh, slice of an MVP, you know, whatever it is. Um, but this is celebration time. Now here, the, the team space, several challenges. One is this, we get so entrenched, so excited about building a solution that we forget about how we are gonna launch it in the market. So we finally get the product ready for launch and we say, oh, and who are the customers? What are the customer segments? How do we reach them? Where do we deploy this? In what market? So we scramble to create a marketing strategy. Mm -hmm. Instead, what if we start this work early on, potentially even during the discovery phase? In the discovery, we are talking to customers, we understand problem, um, customer problems and needs. Can we define the target segments? Can we define the go-to-market strategy? Can we, and I'm, I'm thinking about, again, we are agile, right? Agile mindset, so we take these in, in steps, we iterate, all these kind of things, right? Yep. But can we start that process so that by the time that we have a, a deployable product, we, we have all the pieces in place and we have time to understand and do the work on the, those additional areas to really launch the product and so on. Yeah. Yeah, so that's what that's one challenge I often uh, see with teams. Right? We are not ready to launch it because of whatever expertise. Yeah. So, so I, I what I heard there was, when you get to launch, it shouldn't be a a surprise of who you're serving and why they should care. It should be quite clear because when you did the initial uh, discovery and design, you you had that in mind already, saying this is who we want, this is who cares. This is what they what we're building for them, and this is why it should matter to them. So it's just a simple case of going back to them and saying, "Hey, remember that thing we talked about that you f you are having real problems with? Here's something we've built that 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 can help you with that." Again, you're not just saying, yeah, "Here's what we developed. Here's why we developed it, and then why it's important to you." Well, you should care, right? Who are the early adopters for this product? We should be focusing on. Yeah, so a quick, uh, quick real story. Uh, some time ago, a company approached me and said, hey, we got uh, this cool uh, new product that we built mm -hmm. and we need uh, help with uh, marketing. So, okay, cool. Let's look at that. First question was, okay, who are your customers? 
and they said, we don't know. We have a product, we don't know our customers. <laughs> That's why we need to help with marketing. And my answer was, okay, how do you build the product if you don't know what your customers need? Mm. And you don't know your customers. So we had to go back to the drawing board and do discovery activity and validate that with customers and so on. Right? So shortcutting is not a good, uh, it's not time saving, it's really putting yourself at risk. Right? Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Well, again, because you could get to the end and go, okay, so, well, this is also part of the lean startup understanding. And you mentioned a bunch of companies before like Groupon, even Instagram. If you read the lean startup book, there's actually some interesting stories there about, okay, we're developing this product. We get to the end, we show it to the customer. Actually, I only really wanted this part. And yes, you may need to cut off 90% of, of what you built and, and, the, and, and what you what you're thought your company was, but it's important to double down on the things that customers really find valuable and, and even removing features can be an option there because they uh, they take away distraction and and uh, well, or they, they, they distract you from focusing on the value that customers really see in your product okay yeah and there's the other thing if you want to be successful you should know you you, you should know that you cannot build everything and so yes I call it radical periodization. Yeah. Right. What are the key things, the key hypotheses, the key benefits you want to deliver? Let's focus on getting this done first. And then we iterate on that. And we validate and iterate, and then we build the next thing. So incrementally deliver value. But starting with the radical prioritization. So you keep the focus, keep the flow work going to the system, which is one of the principles behind Lean. And um, yeah, and, and that helps the team speed up and deliver more value. Yep, understood. Um, and then, so, but this is, I think, it's 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 really really important to have a good plan around around the launch. But I was I was also reading another great article, which talks about launch often, um, because they are typically repeatable steps to making sure that you're communicating that you're. Um, you're, you're, you're setting up feedback loops so you can actually hear what people have to say when they, when you've actually delivered something. And this is what I think a lot of people talk about with, with Agile is that you can get really good at um, making things and pushing things out to market. But if you're not having the feedback loop coming back into your organization, you're really only doing half of the value that you could be, that you're really doing half of Agile in that sense because it's all about iteration, not just let's just, push out the, the the latest release and then get on to the next thing no stop and actually listen to if that would if that landed well and if customers are seeing value um or and that could be that that could be the critical moment at which you need to pivot your your backlog or, or your features and as you talked about radical prioritization into something which is more valuable than just continuing down the same path right right and, and i think this is getting into the yeah, I think this is something where I see a lot of organizations failing quite a lot is that they don't listen to the customers after a launch um, and, and take that. Maybe they're afraid of saying, well, maybe we'll, uh, we're go we don't want to hear we're going in the right direction. We think we know better than, 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 than what we're hearing. But uh, that's the, really the most up-to-date evidence you'll have of your value in market. Um, and so it's the best information you have to use. 
And this will be really your focus for um, the deliver dimension. Yes. Is uh, measuring the value that you are delivering to your customers. And um, I think there is uh, what I call a delivery gap in between deploy and deliver. And the other companies fall into that gap. The reason is they focus on output, they focus on getting the product out, they focus on uh, selling, whatever it is that they're yeah. doing, but not, they forget that they're doing whatever they're doing, all of that for, uh, for their customers, for, to, for an outcome to deliver value to their, to their customers. And so they don't cross that gap between deploy and deliver. And, um, and instead, they should be focusing on the outcomes, so measuring the outcomes and having clear metrics here on how we measure value. And these mm -hmm. metrics don't come out of nowhere. They come all the way from discovery activities. Yep. So now we are closing the circle here. So whatever you do in discovery, it really is, is feeding all the other dimensions here. And uh, if you look at these five dimensions throughout your development process, you can uh, really support all of them at any mm -hmm. step. And um, so delivery, you have these clear metrics that you identified and you want to measure the outcome and the value you delivered to make sure that you're actually delivering that. If not, pivot, go back, iterate, change, plan, pull up the next solution from your head and validate that. You know, all the different things you could do, but you have some way of doing that based on uh, customer feedback, on metrics you have measured, all these kind of things, rather than just assuming everything is fine and, uh, and move on. It's, it's funny because you start to hear all of the things that you've talked about coming together at that point. And a lot of things I picked up then was, yes, it's, you may find it not valuable to have analytics installed inside your, or your, your software or app or whatever it is. But at this point, yeah, you realize, wow, we really, really needed that. And most importantly as well, did we know the core value that we were, um, uh, sorry, I wouldn't say core value, core action that we were, we were underpinning with our software. What's the North star metric that we were, that we were looking to move with this initiative. And you may not have that stuff in place, but it will start to become very apparent. So if you were having an email platform, okay, uh, we're trying to make this feature, will make it easier to send an email. Did we actually see total email volume sent go up? Um, you'll start to learn to see as you go through these cycles with the pieces that were missing. And that's why I was still referring to with launch frequently, because you'll be able to see, okay, now we know that we need to know this at the beginning, not at the end. And once we get to the end, we need a way to measure that. And that virtuous cycle starts to flow and you understand the, um, the way which you're actually moving the needle inside your organization and for your customers. Yeah, I think, um, I think there are, the, if you look at, uh, at the product manager, product owner, and you can divide that role in three major areas. And one is uh, customer discovery, customer focus. The second one is uh, driving uh, product. And the third one is measuring value, measuring outcomes. Yep. And this last piece often is the one least um, uh, favored by teams or product people. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And it's actually probably the most important because if you're not measuring value, how do you know that what you've done is the right thing, right? Mm-hmm. I, I agree. Um, and, and a lot of people sometimes actually undervalue it going, well, you're picking the metrics. It doesn't really matter that way. But um, at the end of the day, what's the best representation of value that you've got? It's better than a gut feel. Um, you need to uh, actually, it's, it's really funny how qualitative and quantitative data comes into the product manager's world because yes, you can, one should not exist without the other. Um, you can measure as much as you want from a quantitative point of view using your analytics, but yeah, that needs to be validated with actually talking to someone who's using your product. But also on the flip side, if you have the qualitative understanding of, okay, this customer said this and my, my brother-in-law has used the app and he said that, that's great, but those are isolated and, and somewhat biased views. We need, to, we need to validate those with aggregate numbers or, or how can I put it, um, uh, real data in order to make sure we're going in the right direction. So being skilled in that measuring, not only from a, uh, a data point of view, but from a customer empathy point of view is critical to creating that loop of, of value. Agree, and as you said, there could be both qualitative and quantitative measurement, right? Mm. And and it's really there's no there's no formula here. You've got to use both when appropriate. And and it comes down to the definition of value. Mm -hmm. So, in in I guess intuitively, people think oh value is what we deliver to the customer uh, mm-hmm. solving the problem yeah that's totally true right yeah, yeah, totally that's very important actually key in building a successful product value is also what we deliver to the business there is no viable business unless we generate value for the business so think about roi financial metrics whatever it is right mm-hmm. But there is also another dimension of value that is, uh, that I think is important. That's the value to the team, to the people doing the work. It's one of the, the levers of motivation. It's mm-hmm. uh, the, the having purpose, having purpose in the work that you do. Mm-hmm. And so if, uh, if the team gets value out of doing the work, there's certainly there is a higher sense of purpose in doing that. And and most likely we reflect in a better product, better service, higher quality, and this kind of thing. So we need to we need to reflect on that also and make sure that we deliver value to the team as well. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that's where retros come into it as well to make sure that, okay, so how do we learn to make things um, do this better than we did it before? So it's really closing the loop in, in, in all ways that, uh, that the deliver part of the 5D framework um, ties it back to going back into discovery and creating that cyclical um, value. Totally, and, 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 and we can close the we can close the loop on on, uh, on agile as well, right? Because uh, if we think about building uh, incrementally and iteratively. In each iteration, we can go through. We could go through each of these uh, five dimensions. Mm-hmm. Do some discovery, some design, develop uh, a bit of a product, deploy that, measure value delivered, uh, iterate on that, and so on. 
and uh, by having these practices at our core, we can make sure that our uh, agile teams are more uh, successful. Yep. Okay. Cool. Um, okay. So that's it. Um, and and we move back into discovery and we we keep moving through. This has been a really, really, I, I personally actually found this model really, really useful. I've actually already started using it at work um, to, to communicate with the wider organization about where product, uh, how, how product teams actually are, are wide and varied, um, how they interact with different stakeholders over the period uh, and, and how things actually go from being an idea in someone's mind into the product and actually delivered to the customer. Um, so far I've seen, you know, uh, a good understanding. It's quite simple for people to engage with, understand, but also quite easy to get detailed buy-in with the stakeholders that you're trying to, um, you're trying to work with. So thank you so much, Valeria. I've really enjoyed it. And it's something that uh, I think anyone can get started with by doing a, um, uh, just benchmarking themselves against the 5D model at comparative agility um, and then just uh, implementing a lot of the stuff that we've talked about here and seeing how the improvement uh, changes over time. Totally, I appreciate that. I, I appreciate it again, it can be useful and I hope the problem management and innovation assessment with comparative agility can help people understand which one of the dimension is stronger, which one may be weaker or need some help. So they become an opportunity for uh, development, for developing new expertise, maybe try out different uh, practices and just get better overall problem management. Yeah. And if anyone has any questions for Valeria, I think you're Vizanini on Twitter and uh, the URL for your website is 5D workshop is it? Sorry, I didn't have that on me. Uh, is it 5dworkshop.com? Uh, 5D vision. 5D vision, vision that's it, vision.com. Great. Okay, thank you for your time, Valerio. Awesome, thank you for having me, it was a pleasure. Have a great day, bye. Thank you, bye.